Hello, sugars. It's Maddie. Hope your week is going well. This week, this is a really great show that honestly almost was, this is like the last episode of the Dear Maddie show. It's an episode with Matt Dobshoots, who, uh, hey, who has a wonderful, wonderful podcast uh, called Porn Free Radio. And what's cool about Matt is that he's so open with his addiction to pornography and how it ruined his life. But also this is such an applicable show about just addiction in general. And the reason why it was almost a lost episode is because remember when I went to that podcast conference last year and I recorded a bunch of podcast shows? Well, this was one of those kind of like in one month I recorded like 40 shows or something. It was totally stupid. I should never do that much again. But anyway, this is one of the shows that fell through the cracks and I was actually cleaning out my kind of computer and organizing stuff and I went, holy shit, I forgot about this episode. And I got excited because and I had to re-listen to it again because we taped this in September of 2016. This was such a great episode. And Matt is just, he's just all heart. And he's so open and so kind and so vulnerable and just authentic, 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 authentic. Um, so I emailed him <laughs> just uh, last week say, hey, I'm going to air your episode next week. I didn't forget you. And he was like, oh, good. He was like, um, and I asked him what he was up to now. And he says he's doing a lot of stuff now in groups and groups coaching. And he's uh, really finding that, um, which I agree, well, group is the way to go. And he said that he thinks the reason it's been so helpful because the opposite of addiction is connection. And here these people are connecting with other people. So, oh, which is hashtag true. Anyway, everybody, I, I, I love this episode. Whether you're struggling with addiction or not, I think there's all something relatable because we're, uh, we're all still struggling with um, uh, uh, a habitual problem, at least, uh, that can sometimes we can maybe apply some of this to your life. So enjoy. I love you all, and I'll see you at the end of the show. That's funny. And all right, perfect. Here we go. What, what? It is a podcast, everybody. Hello. Welcome to the Dear Maddie Show. I'm Matt Marr. We we are talking today with another Matt, Matt Dobshoots. How are you, sir? Great. Have you had another Matt on before? I, I didn't look back through all your guests. Oh, man. I'm going to feel pressure now because if I say no, then they're going to email me but i want to say no actually i think you're my first matt that's awesome hey did you grow up did anyone ever call you maddie growing up i mean yeah i mean that's why it's dear that's where i got dear maddie I, I, I always thought that would be cool no one ever called me that i always thought that I, would be a cool nickname to have i got it because i had a cousin and i know maddie's normally spelled with a y but i just it kind of picked up an ie and then it just which is i think a more feminine way but whatever it works for me but um my i had a cousins in houston they would call me maddie a little bit and i liked it and then uh my mother she, she would say i don't really love maddie but i was like whatever it's fine and then but only a few people most people call me matthew in my family and then my when i went to when i was a summer camp counselor and when i was in college i went to it was ran by uh, this woman named Nancy, and she's like this older, like really like New York accent Jewish woman. And so I called and I was interviewing for the camp, and she was, and I was going to do theater, teach theater, and she, it was a, at a girls' camp. And she said, "All right, so we're going to hire you, but here's the problem: we already have a Matt Moore, and he teaches theater. So if we have a Matt Mod, that's confusing. So we're going to call you Maddie." And I was like, okay. And so um, so everybody at camp knew me as Maddie. Well, then that's, you know, my first roommate. That, that kind of what led me to Los Angeles. So everybody out, it's very weird that nobody in Oklahoma, where I'm from, or Texas, they all know me as Matt Marr. Everybody calls me my first name, last name. Whereas here, I feel like in California, because everybody with my friend Lindsay, I moved out, who knew me from camp, she called me Maddie. So now just... Everybody calls me Maddie. A lot of people call me Maddie out here. So that's how it stuck. I, I can call you Maddie. I'm fine. We can make this a Maddie and Maddie show. <laughs> well, I actually, everyone in my life calls me Dauber from my last name. Oh, that's a pretty good nickname. And the funny thing about Dauber is like, even my mom calls me Dauber. That's adorable. And, and my, my nieces and nephews call me Uncle Dauber. So like I... I like very in very few cases am I known by Matt by my close friends and family. Like everyone calls me Dabber in my whole life, except for it's my a, except for my wife. 
well, dollar. But that's a pretty good nickname. It it works. It works. I I think go in college. I was a little. Um, I got my affirmation needs met through kind of being a show pony at, at parties and stuff, and, uh-huh. and kind of being the funny guy. And so uh-huh. at some points, I felt like people wanted to to be friends with Dauber and not with Matt. Yes, <laughs> I know that gets a little deeper, but it was like I, at different points. I but now I'm okay with it. Dauber is part of me, and so is Matt. So is Matt. Well. I we met at Podcast Movement as I've told my listeners. I said pretty much most of the shows the rest of the year are going to be people I met from Podcast Movement because there were so many awesome people there, and um, I just I think you're just like maybe it's the name I don't know I just think you're a really great wonderful authentic guy and so and you are podcasters as well and you're the host of Porn Free Radio which how many shows have you? Gone. You're up to what? You're up to like. I just oh. recorded 87 an hour. Oh, wow. Ago. Or, no, I didn't record 87 an hour ago. I recorded number 87 one hour ago. So. Oh wow. So you're like 10 or 15 ahead of me. So, yes. Yeah, so porn free radio, and it's regarding porn addiction, recovery, help, pornography, pornography freedom, um, and what is cool too is that you know. Yeah, I'm a, I have my master's in therapy and I help and give advice and stuff. But I love that you you really are kind of you got inspired to do this because you were in it and you're not a counselor per se. But I mean, do people think you're a doctor now just because no, but I mean, because because you're really giving people some expert advice and being so helpful on your show. Yeah, I I feel like sometimes they they give me more credit than. I deserve sometimes like, uh, mm-hmm. like I feel like they've called me St. Matt at one point, you know, like, like because of my recovery. Uh, but I keep reminding people I'm just like you. Like there was a period of my time, my, my, uh, history where I couldn't get seven days without looking at porn mm. and I'm getting close to six years now, but, Oh wow. Uh, but there was a, there was a, I can remember those days when I was compulsively looking at porn and uh, it was filling a lot of my obsessive thoughts and stuff like that. And so I constantly am reminding people that I'm, that I'm a lot closer to them than they realize. Like I have recovery, but I still remember all of the, the traps that I got into and the hiddenness and the secrets and stuff like that. So, yeah. And I should say that for I just for anybody listening today that either that this could be triggering so just know that whether it's porn addiction or you know we're talking about addiction in general so just know that there could be triggers in this episode and if you need to skip this week that is cool we will be back next week as well um but so what I loved in just talking to you and hearing you is that you're I think for me, I mean, I already had a pretty good idea of porn addiction just from working in therapy and, you know, I I worked a lot. Um, at my first internship, I worked a lot in, uh, for a gay men's crystal meth recovery group. So and because with crystal meth, there's a lot of times sex addiction kind of goes hand and, and then porn addiction can go hand in hand in usage. So, I mean, it's different, but it's... Um, so I know a little bit and I get it, but I feel like when I first, I feel like explain for people, you know, really kind of what porn addiction is, if you may, because I think for some people they get drug addiction, they get, you know, alcohol addiction, uh, they get when there's a substance per se, but they kind of like what porn addiction, that's just what you're looking online too much. I think that that kind of describe what that definition is for you. Well, for me, it, it really can take over your life and a lot of your thoughts. And, and just, like, just like the drug addict who's thinking about the next fix, um, it, it becomes like that for you. I was talking to someone the other day about it, and I said, one question I like to ask people if they're married or if they have a partner at home, I'll say, if your house was empty when you got home today, and you had unaccountable time for the next couple hours, what would happen? Now, just about everyone who listens to my podcast 
you know, everyone who uses, you know, calls me for coaching, that would be a problem. Like that literally that scenario could caught, could, could be a real vulnerable time. And if they don't have a plan or if they're not, if they're not actively, if they're not using tools for recovery, immediately it would be a, an opportunity to look at porn. Now, mm. normal people who don't have an addiction, they don't, they don't, they get home from work on Friday and their, their partner's out for the evening. <laughs> they don't think, oh, I can jump on the computer right now and get three hours of watching porn in. But a guy who struggles with porn, that's like, it's always on the mind. Any opportunity, um, that's one thing. That's one thing that I know was totally true. I was always looking for opportunities. My mind was always trying to, uh, you know, to, to take, you know, to act out. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was one thing. Uh, it takes up a lot of your thoughts. Um, you know, I would have trouble walking down the street without sort of having porn think like just undressing people with my eyes all the time to the point Mm. where it was like, Hey, I just don't like, I'd be, you know, I'd go to church or something and I'd be like, I don't want to do this right now. Mm. Like I'm trying to be, you know, just a regular person and my mind keeps going to this sex over sexualizing of people, objectifying people. And, um, so it just, it kind of takes over. And, um, so one of the things I do on my podcast is I say, you know, this is for motivated guys who want to quit looking at porn. So it's like, I'm not, I'm not out there trying to convert people, but if people identify with me and kind of, kind of go, man, I can't stop looking at this or I, I keep feeling compulsive. That's where I come in and say, Hey, I, here's what's worked for me. Hmm. And so is it things like, like I'm imagining, whether for you or for other people, is it things, you know, people aren't making it to work or they're, you know, staying up late, going, you know, because they're looking at porn or because I'm at just from my experience, it, when something one example or telltale sign that something's kind of more of an addiction is when it's definitely inhibiting or, you know, really um having negative impact on other relationships and experiences in your life. Is that, would you agree with that with porn addiction? Absolutely. I mean, I've heard of guys who withdraw just from family. Like, uh, you know, it can be like a Thanksgiving dinner or something and it's just too much people and too much stuff. And they'll retreat to their bedroom uh, and withdraw from, from meaningful loving relationships that they have. Um, Mm. I've heard of guys at work, you know, going to the bathroom with their smartphone. Um, the, what you just said about staying up late, that happens all the time. People are trying to, you know, people need to go to bed at 11 o'clock, but they get on their phone and next thing you know, it's four in the morning. I mean, mm. I've, I've heard of guys just staying up all night and then they're having to go to work. They're having to um, do their jobs and, you know, and people, and I, I work with all sorts of people, lawyers, doctors, teachers, I mean, jobs that you would hope they wouldn't be up all night yeah. you know, before they work with you, you know, that yeah. type of thing. So it's, it can definitely have a, a, an impact on, on work, um, distraction at work, fog. Um, there's all sorts of, I mean, there's relational impacts, there's work impacts. Um, but you know what the biggest impact is, Matt? Mm-hmm. It's internal. There is such a loss of confidence that comes from being an addict. Mm. Because think about it. You, at least the guys I work with, you know, they, they, they want to, their intention is to not have this in their life or, you know, to not be controlled by it. And so they make a lot of resolutions to themselves or they make sort of, you know, they try to resolve to not do it or they try to even take some steps to not do it. And then they go back to it over and mm. over you do that enough you don't trust yourself anymore you feel like mm-hmm. a failure mm-hmm. and then you come to everything in your life you you show up in all your relationships all your auditions when you're an actor with that sense of i'm a failure mm-hmm. which is the worst thing to to come to to try to come to to meaningful um you know to to show up with 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, and, and so that's what happens. People are walking around with this sense of internal failure, like they're broken. Mm. I was just going to ask that too. And you read my mind as far as, I guess I think for, cause you know, I'm asking these questions cause I get it, but I want people, if someone is, you know, either hearing their own story or, you know, seeing themselves in one of these situations that, you know, maybe they'd be able to reach out for help. And cause I think that it's, again, it's like you said, with any person struggling with addiction, it isn't, I feel like, when I first, before I was in school and stuff, when I heard of like porn addiction, I was like, oh, that's just like a, that's like a guy who's just really horny. And it's not, it's, it's this, like you said, it's this internal, uh, that devaluation of self-worth that keeps happening repeatedly, repeatedly, whether it's, you know, somebody who is binging on food or using a drug, it's the same thing of, it's not even about like the, 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 the porn as much as it's about just the, you, I guess, you know, you keep going for something because at one point, we talked about this earlier before we start recording, and feel free to say that again. You were talking basically how it maybe was helpful in their life, and then, but now that's all changed. Well, growing, growing up, sometimes when guys first discover porn, girls too, when they discover it, it can be at a time when they're young or potentially going into puberty. And depending on what's going on in their life, if there's family trauma, divorce, just even growing up, the, the tension of adolescence, porn can be a, a nice escape. At the, mm-hmm. and at the same time, you have all these raging hormones and stuff going on. And, and so it becomes this safe little safety valve. The problem is, is when a guy gets older and is in a meaningful relationship where there's intimacy and an adult relationship, um, it's just not appropriate anymore to withdraw into your sexual fantasy world when you have a real partner mm-hmm. on the other side of the bed. Mm-hmm. And also some of the traumas that we suffered as kids that we used to cover, we're not under those threats anymore. Yeah. You know, that, that, you know, if we were abused or if, you know, we just felt the separation of a, of a divorce or something and just the isolation that, that kids interpret, uh, from that type of trauma, we're not at risk for that in, mm-hmm. in most daily life. You know, when you go to work and you feel rejection from your boss, it's not, or, or you know, or criticized, it's not like you're in mortal danger, except that child part of us that, that thought, you know, found porn soothing and helpful, mm-hmm. you know, that's immediately what we retreat to. You know, but we're not mm. under the same types of threats we were when we were a kid and helpless and vulnerable. Mm. Mm. I love that. I love that. I love that. And so you've been, for six years, you've been kind of porn free. How long have you been married? Ah, uh, boy, you stumped me. 17 years. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So what do you feel like, is there a stark contrast for you of now that you're kind of on the other side of it and or, and or not other side of it that now that you're dealing with it um on a day-to-day basis do what's the difference of your marriage kind of like before and after for you well i the one important thing about the timetable is i got in recovery i started dealing with it in the second year of my marriage oh okay so the the current kind of porn free streak that I have right now of sobriety is six, six years, but it's been uh, a journey since 2001 to recovery. But I will tell you in those first couple of years, I was hiding, lying. I, um, I honestly, I was like one of those guys who got married and I didn't know the level of intimacy that marriage would bring and it scared me mm. i i was scared i i honestly all a lot of the feelings and stuff that came in a real relationship i was not prepared for i love that i mean not that that happened but i love that you voice that because i think that it's so true for so many people is that we make make excuses or find things of why relationship can't work when Truly, it's because it's just, it's almost too much. It's, it's too much to feel. I was talking to a, a friend of mine 
and he was talking about his first year. Guys don't normally talk like this, but he was telling me about his first year of marriage. He said there were times that it felt so intimate. He was trying to like, you know, hide on his side of the bed, like almost like putting the covers on. And I felt the same way too. Like, and I had a loving, happy start to marriage, but I just had no idea the depth. Um, and then my wife too has, you know, really strong emotions, real self-aware and the depth of emotion that she could feel scared the living daylights out of me. So I really, um, as much as I had intention to, to not bring porn into my marriage and compulsive masturbation and, you know, hiding and lying, I, I retreated to it almost immediately. I was struggling, uh, right away. And, and so what happened was my wife caught me downloading porn one night and, and it was really embarrassing and, and I felt a lot of humiliation, but she was very gracious and, you know, kind of said, yeah, I think you need help with this. And, and, and so even though I was scared and, mm. and kind of exposed, there was some liberation to just, man, she knows the real stuff. And, mm. and so Amazing. when I started to recover, you know, the, 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 the miracle for me was the inside started matching the outside. Like I wasn't hiding anymore. Mm. the weakness. I wasn't hiding uh, the shame and and the the and sticking in isolation. I was starting to be known, and uh, you know we had some friends at the time, and my wife's the kind of person who likes to just let everyone know what's going on. She doesn't want to like keep secrets. Her family kept secrets and had some stuff, and so she's you know she told people what we were going through, and and even though it was exposing, it it actually felt. Good. I mean, I remember some of my friends' wives were like, you know, knew about it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I feel so exposed. But in a weird way, being known helped me. And uh, I went to a recovery program also where they, you mentioned the other addiction stuff. In this recovery program, they, they asked you to not drink alcohol. And um, if you know me, if you know the Dauber, the Dauber likes to go get a beer and all his buddies know <laughs> Dauber likes beer. And so, you know, I remember the first time I was at a happy hour after work and I ordered a Sprite because I was in this recovery program. All my coworkers were like, Dauber, what's up with the Sprite? And, mm. I, and I had that choice. Do I just make up a story? And, you know, people would, you know, people would buy it like, oh, I don't I'm not drinking tonight. Mm -hmm. Or I got to drive or whatever it is, you know, whatever the story. Or do I say hey, I'm in a recovery program for porn. And I told him I was in a recovery program for porn. And, Good for you. Yeah, and that, and you know what? No one rejected me. Everyone at work still talked to me the next day. And, um, and I... That's I, some fucking bravery right there. It, it, you know what? That was one of the best things I did. Um, mm. Because these guys, you know, you know, I, I'm I'm a church guy, but these guys weren't church guys. They, they were just guys I worked with, right? So, mm -hmm. so you know, church guys supposedly are, you know, su are supposed to, you know, care about you and, mm -hmm. right? But you know, I, I, it was risky telling them, but yeah, but it um, it totally, um, yeah, blew me away that they accepted me. And, mm. and, you know, and, and now I've been doing this podcast for two and a half years. So, you know, everyone pretty much that I know in, in, in the world, except for maybe my kids, and they might even have an idea about it, know about this thing. Um, because it's just out there. It's on my Twitter profile, you know. It's like, it, I mean, I've said this before on my show about other things, but I really believe, and I know it's different, but, you know, as being a gay man, like, I really believe people have to come out about something in their life. And it really is a coming out, what you did. And it's so, when you, like, the way you describe your experience, I mean, literally, if I was just saying that, I could just maybe, 
insert the word instead of talking about addiction, just like sexuality. And it could be the same story almost. Well, it's, it's, it's eerie how similar it is. It's interesting that you asked, you mentioned that Maddie. And so I'm a, I'm a Christian guy. And so I'm totally in conflict growing up with this addiction because it doesn't match my, it doesn't match how I feel called to live. Mm-hmm. So, and, and it, feels overwhelming like it's a life defining thing for me so mm. when i started looking for help the the guys who helped me were religiously motivated guys who either had same sex attraction or homosexuality mm. and 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 they came out on different places where they decided either to live gay or they decided to, to not live, um, you know, and pursue a homosexual lifestyle. But they, that's, those are the guys who helped me. The reason why mm. is because they're, they were struggling with the same thing. Mm. I, I'm in this church right now. Where, where am I going to land? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, how am I going to live? And, mm. and I, the, so a couple of the guys who helped me, that was, that was their, where, what they were dealing with. That was their journey. And, um, so I, I, wow. How interesting. I totally made the connection right away. Cause I was like, does it feel like this level for you? And of course it did, you know, there's all these identity issues and, and, um, and I don't mean to, it's not the same because I, I realized that, that, um, growing up gay or growing up with same sex attraction and, and, sorting that out there's other factors and things you have to deal with Um, but at the time of being an addict struggling in my faith and also struggling with my addiction it was like life-giving to be around other people who are just real and oh yeah yeah. and i i took it that way i think it yeah it's not the same but i can see like you know i i believe that you know that you know, I believe that being gay is not a, it's not a sin. It's who you are. And God doesn't, you know, I don't think God can fix that or that's a fixable thing or anything. But I remember though, in cause I grew up Catholic. And so, but I remember, and that's what I was talking about the coming out about it does when you do think it's this, this thing that's debilitating your life, whether you come out or you decide to live your life as a person who doesn't act upon homosexuality it it it's still it's um it's something that is inhibiting you from feeling like you can truly be yourself and so and you know i know i mean i know of some people that are gay and that end up you know uh that acknowledge they're gay but don't act on it and they're still and they say that they're happy happier doing that i i don't get it because man i I do, I do love men, but, but I get that it's kind of like their journey. And so and who am I to judge that? But I think, like I said, I think that that's such a beautiful story you just described of that. I mean, for all of us, we're way more similar than we are different and that you could be supported in that is just because, you know, as you're talking, actually, that's funny you say that. Cause I remember like, you know, like well, I didn't have really internet when I was younger, but I remember more in college where I was kind of starting to figure out sexuality stuff. And you would look at like, I say porn at the time it's saying porn. I remember like Googling pictures of like men kissing and just being like, then feeling so shameful about it the next day. Like, Oh God, what did I do? I can't do that anymore. This has to stop. You know, I don't want that. That's not who I am, which it was, and there was nothing wrong with it. But at the time, it was so detrimental to my quality of life. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I totally get that. Oh, that's like, you were the coolest person. Um, So what, so like now, like, let's talk a little bit about, so you've been doing the show for about two and a half years, which is about how long I've done my show. And so um, what has been... Have you expected the response of 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 porn free rating? Because I feel like it's like you really are creating community out there. Well, I knew there was an audience because I I remember, I remember myself and how hungry I was for information and for support. 
The thing that surprises me, Maddie, is how guys are coming to the same awareness in 2016 that I came to in 20 or 2001. Like there's guys today who maybe are even listening to this show who they hear me talking a little bit and they go, Oh, Oh yeah. That is like that for me. Or I Mm -hmm. do feel like that. And they're literally waking up to the awareness of how much control it has over them. Mm. That's the one thing that was surprising to me because I always kind of thought, Oh, well, everyone sort of knows this can be a problem. Um, but like literally there's people all the time who, uh, you know, here's the funny thing. If you, if you, uh, search in iTunes for porn, uh, mm-hmm. I'm I usually come up the first or second result. So a wow. good percentage of my guys, re, you know, regular listeners found me through trying to look for porn on their podcast app. That's that's cool. Talk about that's that's some good free advertising right, right there. Right. And and so what hap- so what I what I take from that is they're acting out and they see it in there and they go, "What is this?" And and guys have literally told me that they've hit subscribe and it's just been on their phone for like a month. And then at some point they hit kind of a rock bottom moment and they're like, "Okay, let me give this guy a shot. What is this?" And they hit play and then the next thing you know, They're all in, you know? Mm. So the awareness is the thing that, you know, and I have to remind myself all the time, you know, I just did a podcast today and I tried to just make it really simple. Like, this is what this is about. This is how you start to take action. Like, I have to remind myself to do that all the time because very few people in my community have been porn free for 2000 days, you know, Mm. like, most people, it's, if they're lucky, 30 days. So they need that hope and they need that, that guidance from like that beginner's mind kind of perspective, you know? Well, I feel like too, it's so, it's, it's so accessible. And that, I mean, yes, it's accessible to drink and smoke and things like that, but you still have to sometimes get up, go to a store, you know, have to do these things. Whereas porn, everyone has to use a computer pretty much every single day. Right. I mean, it's just like a couple of, it's like, you know, a couple of keystrokes and return and then you're there. Maddie, I was addicted before the internet became big. and So you had to work for it. Yeah, you, you would have to, you know, yeah, exactly. I mean, you would have to have money. And when I was a teenager, late, you know, or early twenties, I didn't have a lot of money. So you had to have 10 bucks, uh, minimum. Then you had to put your coat on. I live in Chicago. So if it was winter, I'd have to put my coat on, walk to three blocks away to the L train, the, uh, you know, the train station. Then I had to ask the guy for the magazine behind the counter by name, you know, and the more you get into porn, the more you're in, into, you know, interesting things and different things. And so you had to ask for the extra embarrassing magazine, <laughs> you know, for whatever fetish I was into at the time, right? Uh-huh. right? And the guy's like, you know, giving you this wry smile as he hands you the magazine, right? And you had to walk back. I mean, it was a big thing. And there were a lot of failure points. There were a lot of points where you could say, ah, not tonight. But now mm. guys roll over, and if their smartphone's plugged in by their bed, boom. Boom, there you go, yeah. They're acting out. So, uh, you know, one of the things I talk about with my guys on the, on the, on the podcast is, like, we need, to put, uh, we need to put some friction, you know, some barriers between you and just rolling over and acting out. Mm-hmm. Because in the old days, we used to have friction, and that, that kept you sober sometimes. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Just, you know, not having money. Yeah. You know, I, I, one time I was in this, uh, uh, is that, is that in your neighborhood or my neighborhood? Yeah, that's mine. Sorry. Okay. I live in LA. That's yeah. Cops. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're like right outside of Compton or something. Like that? Yeah. Pretty, pretty much. Pretty LA much, is all yeah. the same to me. It's uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I, um, no, one time I remember just standing on the corner 
trying to figure out, am I going to go through with this or not? And I had the $10. I ended up mailing the $10 to a safe person. Oh, wow, because, that's cool. Because if I got rid of the $10, then there was no more option. Mm. But those days are over. You have to create you have to create your friction now. You have to create the barriers. Yeah, that's I remember I had a client, yeah, who um just in their neighborhood it was so helpful that where they would go to for meetings was also on the way to their nearest liquor store. So they had to pass the place they went to for meetings twice, you know, twice a week to go and it really helped them because it was just that reminder. Um, I love that putting friction. I love, 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 well, love, love I, that. And Hey, I remember the early days of being in recovery groups and stuff and, you know, um, you know, guys who struggled with, you know, anonymous sexual encounters and things like that, you know, they'd have to avoid certain ways home from work you know, mm. because they wouldn't want to go past this place where they used to act out, you know, it's, it's like, uh, yeah. How often does porn addiction and sexual uh, addiction go? Do they go hand in hand or is it different? Well, here's the thing, Maddie. I think that porn addiction is a big thing right now. A lot of people who maybe wouldn't have been classic sex addicts uh, have gotten hooked. And I, you know, I, I choose to focus on porn because, um, when you go to an SA group like a Sexaholics Anonymous, you get, you get a lot more hardcore sex addicts. And the guy who's just struggling with porn can get lost in their meetings. Mm. They can be triggered. It's just like, oh, my gosh, they're, they're struggling with porn. And then they're going and listening to these outrageous stories um, at an SA group. And it's really difficult. And... Mm. I've even heard of guys checking in about porn and struggling with masturbation and compulsive stuff. And, and the SA guys are like, Oh, that's nothing. I'd love to just stay at home and look at porn. Mm. And that would be good for me. That'd be recovery for me. Which is not helpful. Yeah, completely <laughs> not helpful, but I've heard it. I mean, uh, I've heard that numerous times that SA groups are not always safe for guys struggling with porn. Um, mm. and, and I think sometimes guys need to, to press in. There might be still benefit and sponsors there. But, but so I really focus on the porn guy. Um, but does it, can it escalate? Yes. Um, you know, people, um, you know, escalate to massages, Craigslist, strip clubs. Um, you know, that can... And when and when I see clients or people I get emails from, when I see them start to get into those places, cam girls, cam guys, you know that kind of thing, it start. That's when things start to it look more like you know sex addiction. Mm. Yeah, hmm. It can definitely happen, and 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 the progression sometimes is really quick. Wow! 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 Well. I just I appreciate your candidness. It's it truly is. I really feel like um, podcasts, the format of podcasts, was truly invented for people like you doing what you're doing. So um, it's it's just awesome. It's awesome. I mean, I'm sure we'll bring talk about some more, but uh, let's get into a couple of questions just because uh, there's people out there who need a little advice. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. This first question is from Josh, age 29. Um, Josh says, Dear Maddie, my girlfriend and I really have no desire to go to our respective families this year for Thanksgiving. And we feel like we could just say, oh, we want to stay home. Oh, I'm sorry. They Let me read that again. And we feel like we could just say, oh, we want to stay home or we don't have the money to go. But actually, we want to start traveling out of the country on Thanksgiving. So we really can't give that excuse to our family. What's the best way to do this? We both have pretty dramatic moms, so we're dreading it. (laughs) This is from Josh, age 29. Um, Talk about coming out about something. If I came out to my mama that I wasn't coming home for Christmas, Lord help me. I yeah I have a I'm like the worst person to answer this. My my, <laughs> my no my mom and my mother-in-law live like ten minutes from my house, um, and I've never missed a Thanksgiving with one of them. 
because um, I'm always in town. And, uh, but I just, my first thought on this one, Maddie, is mm-hmm. you, in this day and age, you have to be honest. Yeah. Because you're gonna, if you travel, you're gonna share pictures on some platform and it's gonna come out. Mom's yeah. gonna see the pictures on Instagram. Yeah. Unless you just have a secret life, I think, you know, maybe, I don't know how far away they're from their respective families. So if it's far away, then maybe it's a problem. But maybe you could also do, um, you know, my mom and I, for a couple of years, it was just so hectic traveling over Thanksgiving in the States to get to somewhere else. We would do stuff uh, like a week or two before or maybe a week or two after. And we would kind of just get together then and spend time because... Thanksgiving, yes, it is about that time, but it's still just a day. You can make Thanksgiving another weekend and then still... But now this said, Josh, I don't know if your family, you know, is across the country and it's expensive and you can't just... You can't go all places and be everything to everyone, but you can't be everything to everyone. I think, like you said, Matt, he's just got to... I don't think there's any other way to say it but just to do it, you know? Yeah, and you know maybe there's a maybe you can get away with a little bit of a you know we don't want to make, we don't want to choose between the two families so ooh that's smart you know, there you maybe go you could make a case for that uh, maybe you could use another holiday like you know the winter uh, you know Christmas or Christmas break. Christmas or Easter a lot of people don't travel on Easter if you want to do that one yeah. or I don't know if you're well, if you're Jewish, you can't do. But still, you know, another another holiday, another holiday. Yeah, you dangle another holiday as a as a compromise. Um, you know, something like that. Yeah, you'll see them on Memorial Day, Columbus Day. You're there, Josh. Maybe. And honestly, too, I feel like the first year of this is the hardest. I feel like once they just if they just do it, then it will become people are used to it, and they still might not like it, and your mom still might give you shit about it, but they'll be used to it. I, you know. To be honest, I've, I've always hosted Thanksgiving and, or not hosted, I've always been with family on Thanksgiving. You know, sometimes I dream of hosting like one of those orphan Thanksgivings, you know, where just random people in your life. Who yeah, that's what we do here in LA. I would, gosh, I would love that. Um, I've, I've, done, I've done that on Easter before, and I just think it's great. Um, yeah, it's fun. Uh, one time, my wife and I, too, we hosted... Um, Chinese foreign exchange students, like graduate students. And we had oh, cool. we like 26 for Thanksgiving. Oh, my goodness. Uh, for, and we didn't do it on Thanksgiving Day, but we did it like the Sunday before, but with all the food. Oh, cool. Um, and I that was like one of the most memorable. Th- I can barely remember any other Thanksgivings, but I remember that Thanksgiving because I had a 26-pound turkey and 20... 26 or 27 Chinese students in my apartment. So, Oh, wow. Um, that was fun. So I, you know, yeah, I think you're right. Pull the bandaid off this year and it'll set you up for making choices, you know, in the future that, you know, you, you're not locked in every year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and maybe Josh, maybe if y'all want to like one year, y'all could, or maybe this year, you could go to some place and, volunteer for a day or two so then you can tell your mothers well we're going to blah 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 to volunteer what are they going to do what are they no i'm kidding don't do that that's southern guilt right (laughs) do what you want to do but um well best of luck to you josh you're thinking early you're thinking ahead um all right this next question is from colleen let me me read it maddie oh i love that Ooh, okay yeah you're the first guest to do it yeah let me read it and you can you can really think about how you're going to respond because it's a tough one it is a tough one. Dear Maddie, I'm fairly, fairly certain my marriage is over. After years of therapy and conversation after conversation, my husband and I just don't seem to be compatible. There's no sordid or horrible incident that caused our marriage to crumble. It seems cliche, but now I understand when people say we just drifted apart. I feel more like he's my roommate, and if he cheated on me, I really wouldn't care. We both seem apathetic about the situation now. My problem is this, Maddie. My husband is the sole provider. I've always been at home, 
And when we built a house, I decorated it, planned it out. And after three years, we started talking about kids. But after four miscarriages, we stopped trying. And now I guess, and, and, and now I guess God was taking care of us in that way. However, I have no job prospects. I don't have a college degree. We married young, right out of college, so I have no job experience. I now, I need to, I, I know I need to leave, but I'm too scared to do it without knowing where the money is coming from. I feel like that sounds selfish, and maybe it is, but if I'm honest, it's what's keeping me here. I also think I'm battling depression, which also inhibits any desire I have to seek employment. I just need to know what to do and how to get out of this. Thanks for your show. I look forward to it every week. Colleen. Wow, that is problems. Some we think we have complex problems, and bless our heart, there's just a lot going on for her. Yeah. It's interesting having you read the question because and listening to it rather than reading it. At least I think because she says she doesn't have a college degree, but then she says they married right out of college. So I'm assuming either she was in college or she dropped out or maybe that she meant his college. But I I don't know. This is just me interpreting. But the, when listening to you read the question, I feel like, I don't know. I would want to ask her, Colleen, have you been living your life doing what you want to do? Or have you been following other people or other things? I don't know that just and I don't know even where that comes from. I don't even have any evidence for that per se. That was just a gut feeling for me as you were reading it, Matt. The thing that jumped out to me is four miscarriages. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. That is. Yeah, that is so traumatic. Yeah, that is. I mean, I just I just know women in my life who have had one or two miscarriages and it's it's just awful. It is. Um so I, I can't, I, you know, if, if you're feeling apathetic about marriage right now and kind of drifting apart, I can't imagine what the trauma of four miscarriages had, had what kind of effect it had on the marriage. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, and obviously we don't know the whole story here. And I mean, it's funny. She's writing, kind of saying that she's staying in the marriage to have no, no money, but at the same time, I feel like almost she's saying, um, I think from this question, it sounds, I mean, she says that, she says she thinks she's battling depression. Colleen, I'm pretty sure, based on your question, you are battling, you are dealing with depression. Uh, so, you know, if, if this was a woman who came in and talked to me, I would be asking about, like, just to make sure, like, suicidality and things like that. Um, but I think... I don't know. I want to say, I just want to tell Colleen of maybe find some, you need, I think reach out for, try to, maybe you've already done this, but try to find support within family or friends or, you know, if you want to, you said you have been to therapy or because, or find support because she's talking about, again, people do this. They feel like I need to get a job or I need to do this or I need to do this and then I'll be able to get on my feet. But there's a difference too of emotionally getting on your feet as well. And I feel like she's just kind of, it sounds like she's just a, like people say they're either a shell of themselves or they're just, they feel off. Like she feels so off from who she is. I almost would want her to like, I know this sounds silly maybe, but I would almost want her to find something that connects her with joy in her life. Whether it's like, church or it's like a crafting project or it's like volunteering or whether it's like you know um like knitting or meditation like I just feel like she needs to connect a little bit with some joy just to kind of help her get emotionally on her feet because that would just manifest if she's in this dark place and she's thinking of this pressure of I have to get a job I have to put myself out there it's almost that often people can either read off of that or it, and if you don't get a job or you're it's just it could drive you deeper into a depression and that would worry about that yeah i mean i have a f couple of friends who've gone through some messy divorces and it's tough it's tough if you're feeling depression now and feeling these kind of feelings now i mean on the other side it can be really difficult so mm -hmm. i i think you're right i think Working on finding joy, 
uh, even mourning some of the loss uh, and and really grieving. There might be some grieving that needs to take place. Uh, I mean, I think miscarriages, a lot of times people say things like try again, uh, you know, or just, you know, you'll feel better when you have the, the pregnancy to term, that kind of stuff, except it just, I don't think that that always solves that grief. No, um, and I, I don't think that'll be a possibility. This might not be a possibility for them as a couple, even, you know? Yeah, so I, I think you're right on that. And, and I, th- I think, too, working on the depression, working on getting some positive momentum is going to be the thing. And if, if then you decide that in that healthy state that this isn't your future, you know, as much as I don't like divorce, then that's... That's the path that you need to go, and and you'll figure mm-hmm. out how to get the job. If you're in a healthy place, you'll land on your feet. You'll figure out how to mm-hmm. to do it. Yeah, I wondered. Yeah, when you were saying that, I was thinking. You know, I know several people that are women that have even had children that have left husbands and things like that, and they did it when it it they they felt empowered to do it. They felt empowered to go out on their own. So, Colleen. You know, take that step when you feel from a literally from a place of joyful empowerment that, you know, this is the best thing for you. I know it's a traumatic thing to do, but but still in a place of, you know, for your own self-care, this is the best thing for you to do. Not right now. I feel like it's I don't know. Maybe you're wanting maybe you're wanting to think about getting a job and how you do that, because your marriage or other things in your life, are like you said, Matt, are so depressing and so maybe it's actually looking at, I love that you said, because I wonder, like with grief counseling and going specifically to a grief counselor and and fleshing that out and possibly even fleshing that out, you know, if you can, even if you're not necessarily, it sounds like you and your husband, whether it's, it sounds like they're not having connection really at all. Right. So even if they're not going to get back together, but what if you and your husband haven't grieved the loss of these miscarriages and maybe that's something at least you could come together on to at least i mean you've been married that you have this for you know for eight something nine years at least you could it might not save your marriage but at least like save some type of friendship and connection you have with each other and that might support you know if you if you had the blessing of your husband to go out on your own and vice versa that might inhibit you to get a job and things like that. Just if you, I just feel like Colleen, it feels like you feel really alone and we need to, we need to work on that. There needs to be support where you feel like you have somebody to lean on in your life, whether it's your husband, whether it's your, your family, whether it's someone in church or good friends, like you, I feel like you need that. Definitely. Yeah. So, um, Oh, that is, that's one of the tougher ones. I, I thank you for reading that. That was really powerful for me. I've never, again, just the listening of it. Um, good. I, I might, I might mix that up for future shows, Matt. Yeah. Hang in there, Colleen. Yeah. Hang in there, Colleen. Colleen, we're, we're, it makes me want to look up podcasts and talk to people. I'm sure there's plenty that could help you out, but well, moving on, Colleen, let's, uh, uh, we're going to go to some chatty Maddie questions. So these are five questions we ask for everybody in the show. So chatty Maddie number one, this is for you, Matt. What is your most memorable childhood smell? Well, I was born in the South and I, uh, the childhood smell that I remember is honeysuckles. Oh yeah. I don't have them in the North and I hadn't thought about it probably in 20 years, 25 years. And I went to visit my brother who moved to Virginia recently and it was in the spring and I was walking and I smelled them and it was like, boom. I just remember being like five years old um, and I hadn't thought of that smell in 20 or 30 years. Oh, I, lo- I love how it just takes you back. Yeah. Do you, did you have them in front of your house or was that a grandparent's house or it's, just, I mean, in Tennessee, I think we just had them all over the place. Tennessee is such a beautiful state. Yeah, and I just I got to go back to Tennessee and visit my childhood home uh, just just about four or five months ago, and uh, there were no honeysuckles at the time. I don't think it was the right season, but uh, I'm sure they were just all around. Mm. Oh, that's a good one. That brought me back a little bit. Um, 
All right, Chatty Maddie number two, what would be the name of your memoir? Anything worth doing is worth doing badly. <laughs> That's pretty good. It's, uh, it comes from a G.K. Chesterton quote. He didn't quite say it like that, but... That's basically it. And uh, why that's important for me is when I first got into recovery, I kept trying to do things perfect. And I kind of believed the lie. If I can't do this perfect, I can't do it. Mm -hmm. And what I realized was I can't do it perfect, but I can do this. And... um, and I don't know that for some reason that quote was so freeing to me that one of those first groups that I went to, the leader said that. And I went, you know what? I feel like a mess right now. Everybody in my life knows about my crap. I, I, you know, I feel like my marriage is on the brink because of all my choices. You know, I'm looking really bad right now. So I'm hoping this is worth doing. And it, and it was. Mm. I love that. I love that. That's a great quote. Um, Chatty Maddie, number three, best piece of advice you wished you'd taken earlier. You know, I really was struggling with this one. I knew you were going to ask it. And, um, I, you know, I don't know. I, I think um, one thing that I did, okay, I'll give you one. All right. I, you always hear about these ideas of, like creating your network, you know how there's LinkedIn and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I worked at a company for ten years, and it was kind of like real, like a real family company, real connected. And I got laid off. And when I landed, I realized I don't have that great of a network because <laughs> every oh. everything was tied in with that company. And, Mm. and so luckily there were a couple of podcasters, a couple of friends that I had, uh, made entrepreneur friends. And so when I landed in my new career, starting my own company and doing this podcast and coaching, I had a couple of these people to reach out to, but, but I like barely had a network when I, when I got laid off. And so that's the one thing, if you're in a nine to five job or you're in a job where you work the same same people all the time. Um, definitely mm-hmm. build up your network. Oh, that's. I'm telling that to my nephew now as he's starting college. I'm like, college is about the connections you make, not the degree you get. Because um, it's so true. Uh, all right, Chatty Maddie number four. What day would be your Groundhog Day? Or, or a day that you would live over and over? Mm, okay. Um, okay. Uh, it, there, there's two, but... But one sticks out. I, my okay. wife and I adopted both of our sons uh, from Taiwan. And when you adopt from Taiwan, you have to fly to Taiwan for a week. And um, there's a moment where you actually meet your son for the first time. And, and, um, and so there was this one day where we were adopting my oldest son, Jaden, and we, I can remember every moment of the day. Like we, I mean, mm. we had never been parents before. So I remember getting up in the morning. I remember, I think I went to McDonald's for breakfast. Um, I, you know, we drove, uh, about a two hour car ride. Um, I remember the food I had that day. Like I had a, some barbecued pork, this a Chinese barbecued pork. And then, uh, we, then we went to the foster home that he was living in and at the threshold of the, the house, the foster mother comes and then hands my wife, our son, Jaden. And, uh, it, it just was like one of those magical days. Wow. And we had a similar uh, experience with my son, Samuel. Um, and I could, I could take that day also if, if possible, cause, uh, both, I remember all the scents and sights of, of those days. Mm. Like even I, I still have a pair of socks that I wore on the day that I got Samuel. And every time I put those socks on, I think, Oh, these are the socks that I wore, uh, when I met my son, you know? Mm. That's a, that's a good one. That's one of the best ones. Matt Dobb shoots. Oh, I love that. Great names by the way, too. 
Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, Samuel, one of the reasons why we picked his name was because our, there's a story in the Bible about a, a, a mother who can't give birth. You know, we were just talking mm-hmm. about Colleen's miscarriages. And, and so there's the story of Hannah. And when she actually, um, she prays to, to be able to conceive. And she says, if she, if she does, she'll um, basically offer her son back to the Lord. And so she goes through this process and gets pregnant. And then when the child turns like four or five, she takes him to this priest and she basically takes care of him, but, um, you know, puts him in charge, puts, puts the priest in charge of him basically to live in, in the temple and take care of the temple. And, um, so I, I was, we were thinking about adopting this, this son. And I just had this feeling like, um, I really felt like God spoke to me that uh, we were supposed to name him Samuel. And my first thought was, oh, am I like, I'm like Hannah in the story, you know, mm. the, the woman who can't conceive. And I felt, I've never, maybe once or twice I felt like this. I felt like I, I've had an impression from God that he actually said, no, you're like the priest who's charged with raising this boy. Mm. And, uh, and, uh, and I, and I came home and I told my wife, I think, I think we're supposed to adopt this kid and name him Samuel. And so it was kind of a, uh, it was a, one of those moments, like I can't explain it. Um, but I just really felt that impression. And so that's his name. That's how he got his name. We were going to call him Jesse. That was, that was, that was the name that we were. No, I'll. Oh, he won. That kid won anyway. That's better. That's better. I like Jesse, but actually I like Jesse, but no. Samuel, that's great. Um, Well, last one, Chatty Money number five. When are you most inspired? Well, I bet you you and I are similar in this one. Mm -hmm. I am most inspired when people are really being authentic and getting to the true self, revealing the hidden parts of themselves, the broken Mm. parts, the weak parts. When you sit with someone and they talk about a trauma they experienced, when they talk about something they're fearful about, or, or if you knew this part of me, you would reject me, any of those types of things. When they go into the deep, vulnerable places, that's when I kind of come alive. Um, Amen. And so it's funny because people sometimes think this podcast I do, or maybe even what you do sometimes, it's like, what man, how do you sit and listen to people's problems. But the thing is, is when people really get real, that's when I come alive. I, I mean, yeah, especially like hearing you read Colleen's question, that's inspiring to me that's, that she's able to write in that to us. That is, and be that vulnerable and that just kind of, this is my life where it is truly. That's inspiring to me. Right, exactly. And I, yeah, it's, it's, yeah I come alive too. I mean, I, I, I'm right there with her. Yeah. We are both right there with you, Colleen. Oh, what a beautiful way to end. This is why people need to listen to your show. Cause I've listened. You're just, you're just an inspiring guy and you don't, I, I feel like some people, you know, I've just, they say like, I'm inspiring, but you were so, um, you're so humble as well about it. It's just, it's just, it's wonderful, Matt. I love what you're doing. I love, love, love what you're doing. So tell people where they can find, all things Matt Dobbs shoots, all things Porn Free Radio, all your good stuff. Well, PornFreeRadio.com is the where the podcast is hosted. And, and of course, you can find that in your podcast player. Just search P-O-R-N, and um, I'm usually the first. Just search for some porn, and you'll find <laughs> Just you. Just usually the first link that pops up, or you can search by my last name, Dobbs shoots, D-O-B-S-C-H-U-E-T-Z, which is horrible. Um, but you can rewind the podcast and get it. But that also will will take you there. And these will be in the show links, so yeah. uh, the show notes. And if you do like the show and you listen to it, leave a review for Matt. That's huge. If you could leave a review of how it, the show's changed you or affected you or what you liked about it or even what, if you there's something you would want to change. Like I always say, people always say, oh, you want a positive review? I'm like, I just want a review. I just want to know that people are listening and what they think. So, um, and I say that for your uh, people listening for you as well. It's a great thing you can do for us. 
great group. Well, Matt, thank you so much for just being you and being yourself and talk about bravery and feeling inspired. Um, I'm feeling it. Um, I just, I have so much love for you and what you do. Cool. Well, thanks. And I, I love your show and it's definitely fun to listen to. And, uh, and it was great to meet you this summer. It was great to meet one another this summer. Well, maybe next time I'm in Chicago. So for the rest of you, I'll, I'll talk to you a little bit after this, but for the rest of you, do something for someone next week and we are this week and we'll see you next week. Okay. Bye. So that's it, everybody. I just, again, I mean, I just feel like more things are, are accomplishable. That's not even the right way to say it. More things are doable. I don't know. I'm not an English major. I should know it because I'm a host. But uh, it's just, I just feel so, I feel very empowered after just listening to that episode. And again, Matt's just, I mean, wow, that's just, he's just, he's awesome. He's just so authentic. I really, I said nothing in this last 30 seconds that was any of any importance or any different than what I said at the beginning. So sorry, everybody. So, but going forward. So next week we'll have a new episode up. I've got, we got some in the works and we're approaching the Dear Maddie show 100th episode. Something big is going to happen. I don't know what it is yet, but I got to do something big sugars. So anyway, we're going to figure that out. But also too, you can, uh, you know, Jake and I finished Feud. Oh God, Feud was so amazing. If you haven't watched Feud, watch Feud and then watch our recaps or listen to the podcast TV Tea Time. But we're starting the new logo show, Fire Island, which is going to be terrible. And we're just going to shade the shit out of this show. So, which might be Jake and I kind of at our best. So feel free to listen to that show. The link's in the page. Uh, again, TVT Time, and you can go to the website, tvttime.com. You can watch the show on YouTube as well, or you, I usually post it on my Facebook page at The Matt Mar. So, sugars, uh, anything else that's going on in my life? I can't think of it right now. Just, uh, you know, I hope yours is going well. I hope that uh, if you have any uh, questions that you want to ask, please send them to The Dear Maddie Show. We always appreciate that. We always appreciate, uh, we say we, it's just me. Um, um, I always appreciate a review if you want to go on iTunes and just leave a review of the show, whether you like it or not, four or five stars, one star. It's only one star. That's just mean. It's just mean. Don't do that. All right. Okay, everybody. I love you and I'll see you. Well, no, I won't see you, but I'll feel you. Ne- that sounds weird. Whatever. I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.